that I was asked to do Sunday school, we started going through the first couple verses. We ended up going through the first five verses of the book of Ruth. So um, we talked a little bit about um, some of the, the first five verses kind of serve as an introduction, kind of setting the backdrop for the rest of the book, kind of giving us an idea of where, where the book is headed, what the situation surrounding the book is, um, and, and gives us some of the main themes that we're going to pick out and talk about throughout the rest of the book of Ruth. So just as a brief summary, um, in those first five verses, we, we talked about this, um, these, con- excuse me, these continuous, um, this continuous string of tragedy, that we see tragedy at every turn, that every, almost every word, every phrase is, is something that is tragic, is something that's not the way that it ought to be. So even in the first verse there, that it was in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So we talked, we talked about the period of the judges, um, ending with uh, that last verse of the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This time of, of moral relativism and chaos uh, and just great difficulty, a very dark time in the, in the history of Israel, of God's people. Uh, and then we read that there was a famine in the land, that it was the promised land, a land to be flowing with milk and honey, and yet it was, there was a famine. There was no food in the land. So again, setting this backdrop that the things are not the way that they ought to be, this ideal of, of covenant life, of, of life in the land, is not, is not looking the way that it, that it should look. Um, and then we see that there was a man from Bethlehem in Judah, who went to, to Moab. Again, uh, Bethlehem, we talked about last week, means house of bread, so even kind of ratcheting up this idea that, um, that the land was empty. There was no food in, in the promised land. There was no, there was no bread in, in the house of bread, Bethlehem meaning house of bread. So again, we're, we're just getting this idea, this kind of irony of what should be and what is, what ought to be in, um, in what we've read so far in the Old Testament up to the point of Ruth, and then what we see in the period of the Judges uh, and here in the beginning parts of Ruth. So then they go to the country of Moab, a pagan nation, again, leaving the promised land, seeking um, blessings, seeking food, seeking the things they need outside of, of the promised land. Again, not the way that things ought to be. Um, we see that it is um, Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons. Um, we talked briefly, it says uh, there at the end of verse 2 that they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and that, um, that language of Ephrathah, the specific um, clan of, of Bethlehem pointing, to, pointing both to, to, to David and then later to, to Christ through the, the prophecy. There's, um, I believe that was in Micah. I think there was a prophecy specifically saying that there would be, um, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. It would come from this specific clan um, that Elimelech and Naomi and their sons happen to be from. So we're, we're building up to this idea that we talked about last week. Uh, at the end of Ruth, we get the genealogy of David, of um, I think the whole book of Ruth, the, the point that we're building towards is seeing how God is taking Israel from the period of the judges, from there is no king in the land, there is chaos and, and sin and evil, and leading them towards this, this coming king of David, and then obviously through the Davidic line, Christ, bringing eternal and everlasting rest to his people. And we'll talk about that a bit more as we go, go, out, go throughout the rest of the chapter. Then we read that in the land of Moab, that Elimelech died, uh, then Naomi's sons took Moabite wives, um, Orpah and Ruth, and then their sons died, and then their husbands died, Naomi's sons died, um, and it says there at the last part of verse 5 that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband, that Naomi was completely empty, completely without um, protection, just very, 
in a very precarious situation, that there was really very little hope for Naomi. She was in a foreign land with no one to support her, no one to help her. Um, she was in, in dire straits, to put, it, to put it mildly. So that's kind of the, the backdrop of, of where, we're all, where we're at, of Naomi's real plight, of her struggle, of where she really is at, of being completely empty um, and having nothing left. So we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 6. I'm going to go ahead and read um, verse 6 through the end of the chapter, and that's what we're going to hope to cover today. So let me go ahead and read Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 6 to the end of the chapter. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, he, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So... Those are the, the verses that we're going to hope to go through today. Um, picking up again in, in that, that backdrop of um, Naomi's, Naomi's situation of being widowed and then her eventual return to, to Judah. So again, we, we see here in verse 6, we talked about verse 6 briefly last week. Um, that's kind of our ending thought, and I want to pick up there again this week. That it says she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. This this verb, this word for return, is used twelve times in this first chapter. Um, and you could say um, the the word return is sometimes used in the Old Testament in um, in God's word. You could see there's some verses in, in Hosea that talk about return um, as a returning to God or or God's returning to His people. So we could see this. Um, some commentators take this to see um, almost a, a repentance, a turning from, from the ways of, of going into Moab and um, leaving behind the promised land and doing these things that we may say are, are sinful things or at least improper things and in, in returning or repenting to God. I, I don't see it that strongly from what I, from what I can see and, and from what I think the text shows us. It seems as though she heard there was food, 
and she returned. She, she knew that there was food in the land. She was in a foreign land with no husbands and no protection, and she probably figured, hey, there's food in the land, and we read throughout the Old Testament that God has great care for widows. He's put certain laws and, and um, statutes in place in Israel to be able to protect widows, so in her mind, it was probably the most logical step to take is just, let's return to Israel. But I also think to, to just minimize it to just turning back towards food would also be um, a disservice. I think we should also, I think it also points us to, to a, a reversal in Naomi's fates that, that's beyond her own understanding. That what she sees is simply, I'm returning, to, I'm returning to Israel for food or for protection or whatever you might want to say there. But I think what, what we see is, is this continued idea of, of this author, this inspired author, um, writing these words, continually, continually using this idea of return, of, of this idea that as Naomi returns to, to Israel, her fates or her, um, her, her situation is also going to, to make a turn, that, that God is going to restore to her in some way what she's lost, um, that, that her story is in some way, it, it's had this downward trajectory going down and down and down and down and down, and now there's a turning point, there's a returning um, in this case, returning physically to the promised land, back to Israel, back to Bethlehem. But also, I think it should point us to, to um, her, uh, there's going to be a turn, there's going to be a reversal of her fates, that God is going to begin changing um, Naomi's fate as she charts this new course into Israel, empty and alone. And we talked a bit last week about um, the continued theme of redemption throughout the book of, of Ruth, and we don't get that very strongly in this chapter, but I think if it's anywhere, it's here, that we see Naomi is that God is going to begin redeeming Naomi, redeeming this, this horrible, awful situation through, her, through this first step of just returning, returning to Israel. Even though her motives, we don't know her motives, and even though they may have been just basic and, and human motives of, of survival, um, we see that God uses them for his own purposes and for his own good, despite, her, despite the fact that she may not understand that. Um, <clears throat> so we see that, that she's charting her course back to, back to Judah, back to Israel. Um, and again, she heard that the Lord had visited them and given them food, so we talk, uh, we'll see a lot, especially as we go on throughout the rest of this, that uh, God's providence is another very strong theme throughout the book of Ruth, and we see that, um, we talked last week about how the famine maybe was, a, maybe was a result of God's wrath against the evil of his people and judges. It doesn't say that specifically, but we know that for whatever reason, God caused the famine to come in and come into the land, and now he's caused it to go away, that the famine is gone. God has provided food for his people. Uh, there's food in the land once again. So again, we get this, we're starting to get these ideas of hope, that things are starting to be restored, that God's, that God's people, Naomi, God's, one of God's children, is returning to the promised land, that there is once again going to be food in the promised land. Um, that, the, that things are starting to change, things are starting to reverse course from, from the evil uh, and awful situation that we've read about in those first five verses. So continuing on in verse 7, it says, So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. So um, I saw a couple different numbers um, the journey from Moab to Bethlehem was probably anywhere from 30 to 50 miles, so it seems as though they set out for a bit, they walked for a little bit, and then Naomi kind of had, had to have a blunt conversation with her daughters-in-law and kind of lay out, if, if you come with me, if you continue on with me back to, back to Judah, this is the situation that you're going to be in. Uh, and she's going to lay that out more here in the, in the first couple chapters, or in the next couple verses, excuse me. Um, but it seems as though um, as they start on this journey that, that Naomi stops them and, and re- implores them, go back, to, 
go back to your mother's house. So we're going to read again in the next few verses of why she thinks that would be best for them. But yet we see that she's stopping them and saying, hey, I think for you, this is, this is what your situation is going to be. And I think it would be best for you to go back to Moab um, and do what you're going to do there. And again, we're going to read what, exactly what she says there. So let's continue on to verse 8. It says, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, he have, has, have dealt with, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. So we see there that, she, that her goal, um, or that her main idea here, I think, is uh, that verse that says, may the Lord grant that you find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. That they're young, they're widowed, go back to Moab. Go back to your parents' house, help get remarried, and, and live your life. Move on from me. I'm as good as dead. I'm old. There's no chance for me. I'm just going to go back to Israel and die. But you have hope. Go back to Moab. Be remarried. Find rest in, in marriage and, and move on with your lives. It seems to be the message that Ruth is, is giving to her, to her daughters-in-law. Um, and, and again, we have this, we have this idea that, that, Ruth, that Naomi still seems to have in mind God's, God's kindness, God's um, ability to help them find rest, that it says, may the Lord deal kindly with you, and then may the Lord grant that you find rest. Though, though, it's, though we'll read, it seems like Naomi's kind of lost sight of God's kindness and mercy in her own life, that she still understands that God is kind, that God is merciful, that she has some sort of faith, even if it's misguided or um, maybe clouded by some, by some of this, uh, these providences that have been in her life, but yet she still has an idea that God is able to bless. He is able to be kind, and, and she seems, again, may perhaps misguidedly seems to believe that um, what would be the, most, the, the best thing for, for them to do, for, for Orpah and Ruth to do, would be just to go back to Moab, be remarried, and move on with their lives. Forget, forget that any of this happened, go back to Moab, move on with your lives, and, and we'll, we'll go our separate ways. Um, one thing I want to point out uh, as a bit of an aside, I think it doesn't, um, that, uh, that I think is really important here. Um, again, pointing to that idea of, we talked about that the, I think Ruth is pointing us, that the book of Ruth is really pointing us to the coming of, of David, the coming of the Davidic king, um, is, is this idea of rest. Um, I thought that this was really something that, that really struck me as I went throughout this, that um, I'm going to, I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you want to turn there with me, you can. If not, I'll read it. 2 Samuel chapter 7, chapter 10. So, not chapter 10, chapter 7, verse 10. Um, so we read here of God's covenant with David. So that we read, this is God speaking to David, telling him um, what well, what he will do for him. So starting in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, it says, And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Yeah, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and stop there. I think those, those two verses, again, we see it speaks specifically of the time of the judges that, that God is going to give his people rest from, from the violence and from the, the evil people that continued to, to be a thorn in their side in the time of judges, which we, if you read in Judges is, is a result of their own sin, that they didn't clear the promised land as God told them to do. And he said, these people and their gods are gonna be a thorn in your side. They're going to be something that's gonna continue to make you stumble and be a snare to you. 
But God promises through David that, um, that those people, uh, I will point to, um, sorry, excuse me, violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges. And then again there at the end of verse 11, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Um, that God promises a greater rest for his people. So even though, again, going back to, going back to Ruth, that Naomi seems to have this idea that the best thing for, for them is, is the rest that, that a new husband would provide for them. And going back to Moab and getting a new husband would be, would be the most beneficial thing for them. And what we read is, as we get to, to Ruth's confession, Ruth's clinging to Naomi, is that um, God has, has a greater rest in mind, that as Ruth clings to to her mother-in-law, and goes with her back to Israel, and then eventually has Obed, and then um, becomes the grandmother of, of David himself, um, that God has a greater rest in mind, that Naomi has this, this narrow view of the only way that you're going to be happy or comfortable is just go back to Moab, be remarried. But yet God has a greater rest in mind that, that Naomi can't see, um, but that we're going to read that Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi seems to bring about this this even greater rest that, that Naomi can't seem to see, but, um, but that we, through, the, through the, the benefit of being able to read God's word um, and seeing the larger context, are able to see how God is working out an even greater rest than, than a, a new husband could provide. Um, and that through Ruth's faithfulness to, to Naomi, we see that come about in some small way through, through the birth of Obed and then later David, and then obviously uh, the everlasting rest and peace provided by the Davidic, the final Davidic king, uh, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I also had, let me read one verse real quick. So, uh, and, and speaking of, of Christ, I think we were uh, just a helpful reminder to think of, of Matthew eleven twenty nine when Christ says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for my gentle, lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. That, um, that though Naomi has this, this really narrow view of what rest looks like, that God has an even greater view of, of rest, not just for Ruth and, and Orpah, not just for Naomi, but a rest for all his people, um, which I think we, we really get uh, a good idea of here in this verse, but expounded upon in the rest of, of the book of Ruth. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and I think we see that a lot and just even like originally going to originally going to Moab in the first place and just kind of their continued idea of like just doing what's right in their own eyes, I think, of kind of what we read in Judges, that they're gonna do what they think would be most beneficial or what would be most what would bring them rest, what would be would make them comfortable in this season, but yet God has a greater a greater plan in mind, I guess. Even though they can't see it, I mean it seems in some ways it seems foolish to us. Why would you stay in a land if there's a famine there? But yet it seems as though God told them to stay there. It was their land, so um, that's a great, yeah, thank you for saying that. Any other questions or comments before we move on? Okay. 
Okay, so picking up again in verse 10. So, uh, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Excuse me, to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughter. Why will you go with me? Have I got sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. So just a brief note um, there um, of this idea of where she's kind of going on about um, where she explains that, um, that she has no sons, that she can't provide them with new husbands, that um, Naomi's children, Naomi's sons, were their first husbands, and how is she going to be able to have additional sons, and would they wait for them, and would they be um, their new husbands? Uh, seems to be referencing uh, this idea of leveret marriage, and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about this. It's just a, a concept. You can, if you want to read more about it, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 25, but simply, to, just to put it simply, if a man died without a child, it was common for the man's unmarried brother to marry the widow to provide an heir for the deceased. So, um, from my understanding, it seems as though it's just a, an idea of carrying on the family line, that the carrying on your line, having heirs, carrying on your family name was extremely important in Israel, and therefore um, it was in some way a duty to be able to, to provide for your family, to carry on their line, if at all possible. And yet, Naomi can't do that for them. She has no sons, she has no children, she is widowed. So again, how can, how can her line's going to end, and unless they go back, in her mind, all of their lines are going to end. They're all going to die widowed and alone, if, uh, in her mind, unless they go back to Moab. So again, imploring them, go back to Moab. Um, that's where you're going to find rest. That's where you're going to find what you need. Um, so again, not to, not to belabor that point too much. I think, it's, I think that's just a, a simplified version. Again, Deuteronomy 25 talks a little bit more about that idea of leveret marriage, um, if you want to do a little bit more digging there. Uh, but for our purposes, I think that's, I think that's enough said there. Um, and um, we're going to continue to see this idea played out too in kind of what, what we just talked about a moment ago that the, like her husband, Naomi doesn't seem to see that blessing is found in the promised land, that, uh, that things, um, the things will be, that, that all blessing ultimately comes from God, that she seems to, she seems to have this view that, um, um, sorry, excuse me, that it, um, Seems to seems to think that it would be better for them to, to worship the to worship the false gods in in Moab than and have husbands than to be widows in Israel. Um, better to be married and worship Chemosh than it would be to be a widow in Israel. And, and that's kind of I mean at the at the base of it that's really what she's saying. If we want to I think dig down to that to that level. But and again if that's in her mind or not I'm not sure. But uh, it seems as though she's she's kind of lost focus on on the true blessing that God has promised to His people. And the fact that all blessing does come from God, that, that all rest, all blessing comes from the Lord. Um, and it, it seems as though she's lost sight of that, as we've read before and as we're going to read here again in a little bit. Um, I also want to focus a bit, um, I read this once before, but uh, that the end of, um, which verse was that? The end of verse 13 where it says, um, it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Again, we get this idea that Naomi understands that it is God's hand. She understands that it's God's providence. She doesn't just chalk it up to cruel fate or karma or whatever you want to say. She understands that it is God's hand. 
Um, though we can, we're going to see here and, and later on that perhaps a bit misguidedly um, she understands that. We see in, in Jeremiah 21 and Judges 2 uh, and throughout the rest of the, the Old Testament that, that at times God's hand has gone out against his people. That uh, It's this image of God's um, disciplining and, and his wrath going out against, against his people in some way due to, the, due to their sin. Um, so she seems to understand or believe that it's God's wrath that's come out against her in some way. Uh, and, and I think we see here her tenderness towards her towards Ruth and Orpah, that it says, it is bitter for me for your sake, that it seems as though she, she believes that there's some curse surrounding her, there's some dark cloud following behind her, that as long as they're with her, all they're going to experience is death and, and hardship and grief. Um, again, not understanding that, that going, back to, going back to Israel with them would be, would be most beneficial to, to go back and, and worship Yahweh and be with God's people, but yet... Um, She's too, she seems very focused on her own, on her own bitterness, on her own, um, this dark cloud that seems to be following behind her, that the God's hand is continually against her and, and against everyone near her uh, in some ways. I think we, we see that there. And, and again, we, we see um, at the beginning of that verse, she just refers to them as daughters, not daughters-in-law. So I think as we read this, we should have, to, a, to an extent, we should have compassion on Naomi to see that what she's saying to her to Ruth and Orpah is truly just what she thinks is best for them. She's just trying to, to lovingly care for them and give them what she thinks is best for them. And though that may be misguided or incorrect, she is truly just trying to, to do what's best for them. And all, excuse me, all that she's seen is, um, is grief and death following her. So why would, she, why would she want them to follow behind her any longer? She says, go your own way, go back to, go back to Moab and, and live your lives there. So they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So Orpah, Orpah leaves. Orpah takes the, the wisdom of her mother-in-law and says, okay, that makes sense to me. I'm going to go back and, and do what you say. But Ruth clings to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And I think this is probably the verse that it's, I struggle with the most or that I um, had to work through the most. And I, I want to hear your guys' comments on it in a second. But uh, I found a quote from an 18th century Scottish pastor named George Lawson that I thought was really helpful uh, in kind of describing my own feelings towards this verse and what, and what Naomi is saying to her daughters-in-law. He says, Why did she dissuade them from going with her to the land of Judah, where the true God was well known, and persuade them to return to a country of abominable idolaters, where they would be carried down the stream of general practice into the abyss of condemnation? Should not Naomi then rather have endeavored to pluck her beloved daughters as brands out of the burning fire? by alluring them into a land where the method of salvation was known and where the means of grace were enjoyed. It seems as though she's, that she's dissuaded back to the promised land where, where, God, where the true God was known, where they could have known God and instead um, persuaded them to, to stay in Moab where they would be led down the path to condemnation. So a couple different thoughts I had, and again, I, I, kind of, I think it might be helpful to hear some of your thoughts or questions on this too. Uh, that again, there's that we talked about that Naomi seems to have lost sight of the blessings of the promised land. She seems to have lost sight of, of God and his blessings and, and what, what is available to, to God's people in Israel and amongst God's people in the promised land. Um, again, she seems to, to truly want what's best for them, even if she's misguided or incorrect in what that may be. Um, and in some ways, I think that she's She's just blinded by grief, that she's in such a season of grief and such a season of suffering that she seems to just be blinded in some ways to what is truly, 
what would be truly best for for them. So, um, yeah, I guess any any thoughts or comments or questions on that? Those were some of the things that I thought about when I read that verse. Any other thoughts that you all have on that? Absolutely. I think it's easy in, for us to just sit and pick apart every word and every decision that Naomi makes. But at the end of the day, it's like she's a woman experiencing deep, extreme grief. So it doesn't excuse maybe the choices that she makes, but at least can help us have a bit of compassion, I think, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think we all, I think we all in seasons of grief could say there's times where it's just, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or, or just, or saying the same things that, why has the hand of the Lord dealt bitterly with me? Or why, why has God's wrath gone out against me? And uh, that's kind of where I want us to land uh, at the end today. But uh, I think we can continue to see that. So thank you all for your comments there. I think those are really helpful. So then we get Ruth's response um, in verse, verse 16. So Ruth says, um, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, but where you go I will go, and where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die I will die, and there I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also of anything but death parts me from you. So we get this beautiful um, this beautiful commitment, this beautiful confession of, of Ruth, of clinging to her, to her mother-in-law and claiming to, uh, and we see it kind of ratcheting up. It starts with, I'll go with you, and then I'll lodge with you, and then uh, your people shall be my people, your God my God, I will die with you, and I will be buried with you. And just kind of this continual ratcheting up of her commitment 
of, of loving and, and sticking with and being with her, with her mother-in-law, despite the circumstances. Despite, again, it seems where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She seems to have a very clear idea that if I go with you, I, I know I will more than likely die as a widow along with you, that I will, that will be poor and will struggle and, and, and die as widows together, but yet I, I want to go with you. And, um, and I think this is, it's a beautiful commitment, and I, and I do think that, that God uses this confession, but I think above all, uh, commentators take this different ways, but from my understanding, I take this to be more of a, a commitment to, to Naomi than it is a commitment to God, at least in this point in the story of Ruth. That, that Ruth seems to really... Um, maybe not be persuaded as much of, of Yahweh or of God or of wanting to follow God as much as she's persuaded that she loves Naomi and that she wants to go with Naomi and that she, that she desires to follow after Naomi. And again, we see later on in the book that even though this may just be a, a small inkling of, of faith or that it's a faith brought upon just because of her love for Naomi, that God still uses that and that God still brings great blessing out of that um, and that Later, is she's engrafted in, in into God's people, that she's in the, the genealogy of Christ and, and Matthew. So we see that, that even though we don't know Naomi, or, excuse me, Ruth's intentions per se, uh, whether she's, this is a confession of her faith in God or whether it's just a confession of her love for, for Naomi, that um, God still blesses it and that God, through her faithfulness um, to Naomi, through this um, confession of her faith, that your God will be my God, that uh, that God still uses that um, in some in some really incredible ways. Um, chooses to take on the unsure future of a widow in a country and land in which she knew no one and had almost no legal rights. That was, that was the life she chose. And again, was that out of a love for God, out of a love for Naomi? The, the author doesn't explicitly tell us that. Um, but one way or another, we see God faithful to, faithful to her in this commitment that she makes to, to Naomi uh, in this, this early seed of faith that we see her have uh, in God. Any comments or thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's that's great. Thank you. And then we read that um, when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Her commitment, her her this confession of of her faith and, and love towards Naomi silences her. She has nothing else to say. Uh, and so they they continue on to. Um, Continue on to, to Judah, 
the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She was, it seems as though in some way she was almost unrecognizable. It had been 10 years. She was returning empty. Her life must have been as unrecognizable to her as it was to the people around her. That is this Naomi? Is this, real, is this the same woman who, who left us those 10 years ago uh, to go to Moab? And then it says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. Again, we see the importance of names. We talked about Elimelech, meaning God is my king last week, and how their move to Moab may have betrayed that name a bit and showed that God wasn't his king. And now we see that Naomi, whose name means sweet or pleasant, she wants to be called Mara, which means bitter. She sees that her life is so bitter, she no longer wants to be called pleasant because her life is full of so much bitterness. Um, it says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Lord has brought calamity upon me? So again, we see here four different ways that, that she says the Lord has dealt with her. That, that she says, the Lord has brought me back empty, the Lord has testified against me, the Lord has brought calamity upon me. Um, I guess there's only three. But, sorry, three. Um, Oh, there, sorry, the verse before. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me, brought me back empty. The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So we have these, this fourfold um, explanation of Naomi of, of what, how God has dealt with her, of what God has, has brought into her life. So again, we have this idea that, that Naomi still clearly sees God's sovereignty, that she understands that her situation was brought upon by God. Um, I, don't, I don't think she's um, necessarily... Blaming God or, um, or having these, uh, this idea of, um, yeah, excuse me, let me just. So, so though she, she may probably, again, we see that she's, she's misguided. She seems to maybe misunderstand God's purposes or demeanor uh, in her season of suffering. Though, though she, Naomi believes the wrath of God is against her, the text never tells us exactly why God did what he did. But we know that God... Uh, we know that God disciplines believers for their ultimate good, that, that whatever situation, um, whatever reason God uh, brought these things upon her in her life, we know that they were ultimately for, for her good. And, and again, we see here that um, it seems as though perhaps she, she felt as though God was, was coming out against her in, in wrath or in, in anger or in bitterness or not dealing with her um, as a daughter, dealing with her as an enemy. Um, and, and I think where we kind of, where I kind of want to land us for this morning um, we see, we see first off that the God is that is God is tender and kind towards her. We read in that final verse that um, that Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So we see even here God's providence of, of them showing up at the time of, of barley harvest. That again, words of hope that Naomi is is going to be taken care of, that there's going to be food, that she's going to be able to to provide for. Uh, that Ruth and, and Naomi are going to be able to provide for themselves. The famine is over. There's going to be food in the land. And that's, that's exactly when they, the time that they show up. And though perhaps she didn't see it, because um, she was, again, so probably encompassed by, by her grief that she may not have seen it, we see, we see how much of a kind providence it is that she arrived at the time of the barley harvest. So um, one thought, just one quick um, thought before we, before we end this morning and what I found particularly helpful about this, uh, the ESV expository commentary um, brought out this, this applicational idea that I thought was really helpful, uh, that we shouldn't automatically, I guess kind of how I took it, is that we shouldn't automatically assume 
the worst of God, that what he's doing is, is for our harm or that he's forgotten his promises. I think it's really easy for us um, in situations of suffering or in situations of grief to, to, to use our sufferings to interpret God or to interpret why God is doing what he's doing in our lives. When we, when we go through seasons of suffering, go through seasons of trial, it's easy to say, God is doing this because I sin. God is doing this because he is angry with me or displeased with me. But I think what we need to do above all is, is use, let God's word interpret our situation above all else. Use what God has revealed to us in his word to be, to be the main um, meditation of our hearts when we think about our suffering and, and why, we, why we experience those things. Um, I think I, I quoted this a bit last week, and it's a very, very familiar verse for, for all of us, but I just want to read it before we end this morning. Um, <clears throat> Romans 8.28, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are, ca- who are called according to his purpose. We're just trusting that, that even though we, um, in our own sinfulness, tend to look at our situation and say, God is not working good in my life. God is, why is God treating me this way? Why is God dealing with me in this way? We ought to look at God's word and God's promises and trust him in those things, which is certainly easier said than done. Um, but I think this, this text shows us that, that in many ways Naomi was, was blinded by her grief and, and forgot the promises and goodness of God, um, which is something that um, I think should, should encourage us in, in our own grief and suffering to to not forget the promises and, and goodness of God. Um, though we will, uh, and there is forgiveness and uh, grace for us in Christ, um, that, we, that we have God's word and that we ought to look to it to, to interpret our situation over and above our own feelings and sufferings. So let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time that we had to spend together this morning. I pray that, that your word would go forth, that it would not return empty or void, Lord, that my own stumblings and my own failures would not get in the way of, of your word being um, encouraging and, and, and uplifting to your people, Lord. Um, thank you for this time we have together this morning and pray that you would be with us as we move into um, our main time of, of worship together. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.